Thank you, Mark, for those that great reading, powerful reading from Hebrews as you uh, introduce the Lord's Supper. And the uh, thoughts and the prayer, it is difficult for many of us to forgive ourselves, forgive others. I think sometimes the reason is we don't understand God's forgiveness. That's, that's why we have a hard time forgiving others and forgive ourselves. So I really do appreciate what you had to share with us there. Uh, it's been a beautiful weekend, hasn't it? I've enjoyed the weather. Uh, every weekend's beautiful if you're doing well and your mic is staying on your ear. <laughs> but, uh, you know, one of the joys that I'm having right now is experiencing grandchildren. I won't go into a great deal. I could, you know, of course, if you have grandkids, you go on and on. It's not fair for me to get up here and talk about, about my grandchildren when you don't have the same opportunity. But, uh, you know, watching uh, my seven-year-old grandson play baseball and helping him coach, and, you know, that's just been a, a great joy, uh, watching these seven-year-olds who get distracted with a bird that flies over their head, you know, and then not the ball coming toward them and kicking the dirt and then learning how to play the game a little. That's, that's, been, that's been fun. And then uh, Fritz Nelson has been talking to us forever about going out and picking strawberries, and we actually... Took four of the grandkids out there yesterday and saw Fritz out there and picked strawberries. That was a lot of fun. Ate a bunch while we were picking them, which is totally legal. They tell you to do it. Uh, it's not stealing. You can eat as many as you want out there. And then uh, coming back, my grandson Hayden was talking to me, just he and I in the car. And he's just finished first grade, just learned how to read. And you know the joy of them re- just reading and starting to grasp the nuances of words. And he said, uh, Big Dog, what goes up, it never comes down. You know those riddle, first grade riddle books? I said, I don't know. What goes up, it never comes down. Your age. <laughs> I thought it was good. There's a sermon in there somewhere. Then he said, why is the number six afraid of the number seven? Because seven, eight, nine. Some of you old, some of you adults didn't get that. Because seven, eight, nine. Because seven, eight. A A T E. Eight, nine. Seven, eight, nine. All right. And and then I wonder why you have difficulty understanding the nuances of the Bible. <laughs> Turn to First John chapter one, a marvelous book. We've introduced First John. Uh, It's a general letter that was written to the church at large by the Apostle John very late in his life, right at the end of his uh, life. He must have been in his 90s, 80s, 90s. And the letter, although it's short, and it's written in the simplest of the Greek language. In fact, if you ever take a Greek class, a biblical Greek class, the first book that you read is 1 John. They teach you, that's what what you go through, because it's simple language. And yet it's one of the most complex uh, in thought. I was talking to a young man earlier today, and we were just chatting about 1 John. He said, it's like poetry. You have to think about it. You read it, and you have to think about it. I said, that's that's a good way of looking at it. You have to read it. You have to read it slowly. You have to think about these words. It's simple, yet it's deep. And it shows that you can be simple without being simplistic. You can go in depth without going through complicated language. And that's what John does. There was an expository, a writer of 
the Bible, uh, different bi- uh, books of the Bible. Arthur Pink, you may have come across his name. He wrote in the uh, early 1900s. And he wrote a book, 1,500-page exposition on the Gospel of John. He said that when he finished that, he was urged to write on the first epistle, 1 John, which we're going through. And in his introduction, he says he felt quite incompetent to engage in it. Then he speaks about how the style is different. And then after 20 years, he took 20 years from writing the Gospel of John until he got to the first epistle. And he says he still felt, felt, felt unfit for the task upon him, upon which we are now entering. But if we wait until we deem ourselves spiritually qualified, it will never be essayed. And I can relate to that. As I've read through 1 John several times, if I begin to think about it, I'm saying, boy, this is more than, I, than I'm capable of doing. It, it's, a, it's a deep book. It has so much in this, this book. And I don't feel qualified to stand before you and, and talk about it. Most of you know I preach through the Gospel of John. And that was simple compared to this, as I've read this and thought about it. So I'm seeking your insights, and I've received a few. I'm seeking your prayers, your thoughts, as we go into this little book that will really be, it's more than a Bible study we're looking at. We're going to look at some practical Christian ways of living as we get further and further into 1 John. Let me give you a brief overview of what we've looked at so far. We looked at three purposes. What I have found in my reading, there's three purposes in John. And so as we read, as you read through John, I want to encourage you to read through 1 John. As you read through it, think about these three things. Have these in your mind. Just like when we went through the gospel, I said, have in your mind always that first verse. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and so on. Keep that in your mind. That's a running theme through the gospel. The running themes through 1 John is that your joy may be complete. Verse, chapter 1, verse 4. That you may not sin. Chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to get there eventually. Uh, that you will know that you have eternal life. That you'll have the assurance of eternal life. And so as we study this letter, letter you're going to see these three purposes. And they're going to tie together. We're going to see how they tie together all throughout this letter as, they, as we go through it over and over. How our joys may complete. How we are Uh, How we can overcome sin. How we can be assured of eternal life through Jesus. The second thing we looked at was no matter what our position in life, we live a life of faith. Oh, we know the scripture says, but you live by faith and not by sight. Everyone lives that way. Not in the way Paul was describing it there. You could say it was a big, a capital F there, uh, faith not by sight. But everyone lives by faith. Everyone lives by faith in someone or faith in some philosophy. And we need to decide, people need to decide, where are you going to place your faith? And someone may say, well, I'm not going to make a decision. Uh, I, I I don't live that way. No decision is a decision. When you make no decision, you are allowing the world to influence you, whether you know it or not. You drift along with whatever is current. You are living by the faith of the current, whatever is currently in vogue uh, at, at this time. Culture will control you, whether you like it or not, if that's your decision. Some will even put their faith in themselves. Well, I, I, don't, put, I, you know, I don't believe in whatever anyone else says. They put their faith in themselves. So John, though, firmly 
placed his faith in Christ, and he invites you as, your listen, as the listeners to place their faith in Jesus, his life, his teaching, and what he, has, he accomplished on the cross. John claimed in this first chapter personal connection with Jesus. Seeing, hearing, understanding. His gospel led people to that, that initial faith. Chapter 20 in verse 31. Uh, I wrote this so that you will know, so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ. And this letter then invites you to grow in that faith. These words that he used are strong words. He says, seen and heard. And that means I saw with understanding. I saw with discernment. The words and the verb tenses means that it's still alive in his memory. It's still vivid in his mind's eye. He can still see Jesus before him. He can still hear Jesus. The words still ring true and clear in his ears. Thirdly, we, in, we uh, introduce the topic of joy. Chapter 1, verse 4, where John's first purpose stated in his writing is that your joy will be complete. That your joy will be filled up. And my definition of joy is knowing a good thing when you see it. Knowing, and that's the emphasis because the book of John, I think that's the key word all throughout this book is this word know. I write this that you will know when he says it over and over again that, that, is, that he wants you to know certain things and that you do know certain things. And so he says when you know who Jesus is, your joy will be complete. You'll know in the way you're supposed to know him. You know, perhaps there's nothing more attractive to the world than a joyful Christian. Especially a joyful Christian in the midst of suffering. A joyful Christian in the midst of having problems is a, is a testimony to the world uh, of your faith. You know, we talk about how the world influences Christians. But we influence the world. Or we should influence the world. We are the salt of the world, as Jesus said. And so... Your joy, when it's complete, is an attraction to the world. The world looks at you and says, why are you so joyful? What is it about you? What is, what is happening in your life that makes you react this way and act this way? And perhaps nothing is less attractive than seeing an unjoyful Christian. For the world to see someone without joy and they think, well, well why? Why in the world do you profess faith in something that you just go around sad and Despondent, and so we become an, uh, not attractive to the world. So this letter should be a practical help to us. A complete joy, an answer to our sin problems is addressed here, and a life of confident assurance in our eternal destiny. Let's read together the first four verses. I can't get out of the first four verses. I promise I will. Not next week. But, this, but we're going to look at this once again. And, and it's important because this is the foundation of the book. Listen with me or read with me as we look at the first four verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. 
You know, we all think we're unique. Every generation thinks they're unique. Unique in their problems, unique in their, un- their understanding, unique in um, their, their struggles that they have. And that is true with technology. Technology changes very rapidly. And so some of our physical experiences, I don't know how else to describe that, our physical experiences may be different than past generations. But the basic human nature, the basic human struggles that arise from, from, from who we are, are the same as they have been generations past. I was thinking if someone was a hundred years ago, could come to, to our world today. And he would watch us as we got into planes and traveled in a few hours what would in their day and time take weeks and months, sometimes months, to get to their destination by a, a sailing ship. See us take a, a, a little handheld device and move our finger on it and be able to communicate literally with people on the other side of the world. Amazing in your hand. What used to, it would take, you would write a letter and post it and it might get to someone a year or so later. And it's not too far in the past. I mean, 1992 when we moved to Fiji, uh, the only communication we had was letters. Oh, there's fax machines, but hardly ever, you had to go find one over there to get a fax. But, you know, the, a letter that took two to three weeks to get to us and two to three weeks to respond. Our communicate, And yet now we go overseas and when we were in Fiji this past uh, February or whatever it was, I couldn't stay out of touch. My kids were calling me, calling me <laughs> on a phone that they got for me while I was over there. Got a mother-in-law to give me a phone. Can't even be left alone 10,000 miles away. <laughs> I mean, isn't that that's amazing how that happens? We would be astonished if the people from that from a hundred years ago could see that. But if they viewed humanity around them, they'd find nothing has changed. You know, the war that was to end all wars, World War One. I, I wasn't around during that time. No one else was here was. But there was a war at the beginning of the 20th century that was said, this is the war to end all wars. And all it did was just perpetuate wars, didn't it? You know, the people of that time said, this is it. We know something that the world has never known before. This war is going to end it all. And then shortly after that, we had World War II and on and on it goes. Our current events from riots, looting, poverty, politics, divorce, death, ISIS, Iran getting nuclear weapons, child abuse, drug abuse, education deficiencies, on and on and on we can go. Only illustrate that the answers to all our problems lie in the person of Jesus Christ. That's it. And that's what John is trying to say. The way our problems are manifested now are different than in the past, perhaps. In fact, our problems manifest, the problems that we're having this week will be manifested in a different way next week, perhaps. All the struggles that we see in life in the past, I, I, when I read history, I'm reminded this over and over, nothing has changed. I recently read a uh, very short an account from 1826 in Hawaii. You know, when everything was just beautiful and everything's nice and everything's wonderful. A riot in 1826. From a warship that came in and they didn't like the way things were and there was this riot. 
And we talk about our rights today. You know, the only difference there was they didn't hear about it in the States for months. We hear about it today when it happens a few minutes ago. John takes life and he sums it up into three areas. And he says all these things that I've been talking about in chapter 2, verse 16. For everything in the world, the craving of sinful men, the lust of eyes, and the boasting of what he hasn't done comes from the world. King James Version, I like the way it it tightens it down. It says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He says that, that's, every, that's the problems that we have, the sins that we have, can be summed up in those three, three areas. The lust of your flesh, the lust of your eyes, and your pride. And the answers to our current problems, the problems that we go through today, is the same as it was in John's day. The answer is Jesus. The answer is in a person. He is the solution to all the problems that we have. We have a message to, compl- to proclaim. This is not an out-of-date book, 2,000 years old. This letter that we're reading is current, as current as it was 2,000 years ago. We live in a world gone wrong, gone mad, gone bad. It's a cra- have, you, have, you ever, have you ever watched television or read something you say, you know, has the world gone crazy? The answer is yes, it has. The world has gone crazy. We Christians, if we're reading the Bible, should not be surprised at the condition of our world, the horrid condition of the world. When bad things happen, we should not say, oh, I I, I never expected this. If you don't expect bad things to happen, you have not been reading your Bible. All right? You read the Bible, it's clear. We live in a world as good as it is, as beautiful as it is, as, as much joy as it can bring us. We live in a world that's gone crazy. That's gone bad. That's gone mad. Don't be fooled by the world's message. And we will be because we have this media that's always telling you on your iPad and your this and that. What all this stuff is coming in into us every, literally almost every minute. Some of you are quit listening to me and started getting on your phones a few minutes ago. You already got the bad news of whatever's happening today. Come back to me for a minute. (laughs) Because the world gives you a message over and over. It says this. It says, we will have world utopia. We will have a beautiful world. We'll have a wonderful world when... And then it gives you a list of things. When certain policies are followed. When a certain political party or philosophy is adhered to. When there's more money for education and poverty or humanitarian aid or the military or social programs. When all this comes about, then... Everything will be okay. Because you see, the problem is with the 1%. They're not giving enough. You know what the problem is? The problem is with the 100%. The world, that's the problem. It's not with the 1% or the 99%. It's with the, it's with the world. The problem lies in human nature, everyone. And that's not to say you can't have political beliefs. We can even differ. It doesn't matter. You can vote to pay for more taxes or Vote to pay for less taxes. That's that's neither here nor there. You can build a humanitarian program. That's fine. That's good. In fact, do good things. The Bible tells you to do things. But let me tell you, that is not the answer to world problems. All right? That's my point. No matter what the world does, good or bad, and sometimes political parties do good things. Great. And sometimes they do bad things. But here's the, the point. 
That's not the answer to the world's problem. The answer to the world's problem is the Lord Jesus. At best, these things that happen is a band-aid on a bad wound. We put a band-aid on a bad wound, it's okay, it maybe stops the bleeding for a little bit, but that's all it is. The world's solution to the world's problem is false hope. And if you're a Christian, don't, don't be fooled by that. Don't be fooled that this is the answer. That's not the answer. There's only one answer, and that's the Lord. We were not called to bring world, world peace. We were called to announce the Prince of Peace. The message is a message of triumph in a torn community. The proclamation is not how to have a better life, but how to have true life. It's a declaration that the word of life is eternal life straight from the God of the universe. When God gave his final proclamation, the Old Testament, there's proclamations all throughout that through various means, through prophets and uh, teachers. But when he gave his final proclamation, he did it in the form of a human. God's final message was not words. But the word, his ultimate message was a man, Jesus Christ. And so the gospel of John says this in verse chapter one, verse 18, he says, Jesus is the exegesis of God. He is the bringing forth of God. He is the explanation of God living in human form. Do you want to know what God is like? You can learn a lot from the Old Testament, but if you really want to know what God is like, Look at Jesus. He's the explanation of God. The clearest picture you'll ever get of God, the clearest understanding you'll ever get of God, is Jesus. John says this message that he declares is solid flesh and blood. I declare this to you. I'm pronouncing, I'm telling you about it. He's solid flesh and blood. He's not, this is not the culmination of human ideas. This is not the essence of centuries of thought and philosophy that's boiled down and distilled to, to this one truth here. John says that's not truth. The message was seen. The message was seen with understanding. The message was heard. He says the clarity of hearing, I can still, it's like I can still hear him after 50 years. I can still hear those words. Some you can, you can relate, relate to that. Can, do you have a memory, a clear memory from the past? Something that is so clear 50 years ago and just comes to your mind sometimes. John says, that's always ringing in my ears. The words that Jesus spoke, the things that he said. This message was literally touched. He said, I touched him. He was rock solid. He was human flesh. This is not a mirage. This wasn't a vision. It wasn't a dream I had. But I, I, I smelled the very breath as he breathed the Holy Spirit on me. He touched me. We ate together. We walked through the countryside miles and miles together, slept on the ground together. I listened to him talk to people. I wrote down what I heard. And so John wrote these things. He passed on this announcement that he's trying to tell us. He said, I wrote these things down, and now I want you to proclaim them. And they're for you to proclaim. We also proclaim these things. We proclaim a life. Eternal life. We don't proclaim a religion. Uh, a lot of people get, get um, 
Christianity, Christianity mixed up with religion. We're not proclaiming a religion. Do these religious acts and you'll be saved. We're saying this is life. This person is life. We proclaim it with the same authority that John proclaimed it. This is a real, risen Savior. We proclaim it as God proclaimed it. In verse 2, it says, the life appeared to us. Some of your translations will say, was made manifest to us. And when God proclaimed it through the manifestation of a, of a person, we can see with clarity what God is like. And so that's what we're to do. We are to show Christ in the way that we live. Christ showed himself. We speak it. We live it. Just like Christ spoke it and lived it. Acts chapter 1, verse um, 1, I believe, says this. He says, I wrote down all that Jesus began to do and teach. I think that's important. I think it's an important application for us. All that Jesus began to do and to teach. Because a lot of times we learn to teach before we do. And the Bible calls us to do before we teach. If we teach truth while living inconsistent lives, then we're going to be viewed at best hypocrites. Oh, you're, you're speaking the truth, but you're not living the truth. The greatest way we can proclaim the God who is love is to practice love. Later on, and we get into John, he's going to get into very practical ways to do this. He says that, it, you know, God is love, that's true. And if you claim to live in his love, then he's going to tell you some things, practical things to do. So I want you to ask today, does my temper, disposition, speech, life reflect Christ living in me? As I go out throughout my life, I'm asking myself this and asking you at the same time. As I live my life, is the, is the conduct of my life, the way I speak to people, the way I handle situations, the way I handle frustrations, the way I handle anger, the way I ha handle all these things in my life, do they reflect Christ or do they not? Second Peter chapter 1, I thought of this one as I was going over this morning. He says, I want to go back to verse 3, but I won't. Verse 5. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, it says, For this very reason, you can read the reason later on, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Add these things to your life. Grow in these areas. He says, If you possess these qualities in increasing measure... They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But anyone who does not have them is nearsighted and blind. He has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. So this is how you live your life. This is the way you live your life. I go to lots of other passages in Colossians and Ephesians, just how, how, you, are, how you are to live your life. One man said it this way, Proclaim the gospel, and if necessary, use words. And that's a, that's a place we need to begin. Are we proclaiming this good news about Jesus, this message about a real risen Savior, when people look at your life? When they look at your life, they'll say, we know something is different about you. We know there's something about you that the way you handle things, 
that's different than the world? Are you proclaiming the gospel in your life? And then, of course, you'll have to in words, too. We are ambassadors. We're announcing the message, the word of life, given to us, living in us. We live in a world where ideas are battered around, where every opinion is stated in social media, where people try to persuade you in all sorts of comments as you read the comments on the news articles, ad nauseum. I quit reading them. The ignorance just is overwhelming, in my opinion. But, you know, we're living in this world that everyone wants to express their opinion, tell you what they think, what they think, what they think. We don't tell you what we think. We're making a declaration. This is what we know. This is the word of life lived among us. This is eternal life made manifest. This is the author of life who died for us. This we know, John says, and proclaim and we live it. And that's what he calls us to do. Before I began the series, the lesson before I began the series, I did a lesson in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I didn't mean them to connect, but they, oh, they connect. The Spirit was working. They connect so well. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I believe it's on the screen there. Paul says it this way. He says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom. As I proclaimed, and that's the same word that John's been using, as I proclaimed to you the testimony, and John used that same word too, the testimony about God. He said, I came to you and I proclaimed, I, I told you the message that came from God. I gave you testimony about it. And I didn't try to do it with eloquence or superior wisdom because I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ, the man Jesus, the Messiah Christ, and him crucified. That was my message. I came to you in weakness and fear, much trembling. My message and my preaching were, were not with wise or persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And if you were with us during that time, I said, yeah, that could have been talking about miracles. But what I really think that it's talking about in our life, especially today, but I think in Paul's life during that time, the demonstrations of the Spirit's power is how God has changed your life. There's nothing more powerful than that. You can raise someone from the dead. You can do a miracle. And that, that comes and goes. But a life change is a demonstration of the power of God. And you know it in your own life. Some of you people were awful people one time, weren't you? You weren't worth shooting, as my grandmother said. But God changed you to a loving person. God changed you to someone who actually cares and actually has compassion. That's the spirit working within you. We don't need the, this marvelous, you know, glow-in-the-sky miracle. We need people who have changed their lives, who can stand before you and say, I once was this way, and now I'm this way. Thanks be to God. God has changed my life. That's the Spirit's power. Proclaim Him the way you live. Treat others that way this week. And demonstrate God's Spirit working within you. That's your pro proclamation. If anyone